My guest today is a senior corporate counsel at Pfizer. Please welcome John Miller. John, how's it going, man? Everything's good. How are you? Hey, doing well. It has been a minute. It's been a minute, man. Yes, yes. College was a long time ago. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> Not aging ourselves, but yes, it was. <laughs> but hey, man, thanks for coming on to the podcast. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump right into this. What do you do? So currently, I am a senior corporate counsel at Pfizer pharmaceutical company. I work in the intellectual property department of the legal division, where I'm a member of the global IP policy and advocacy team. All right. Nice. Okay. And what are your core responsibilities? Sure. So really, we try to drive a policy agenda that ensures that patients have access to Pfizer's medicines and vaccines. To do that, we work with partners within Pfizer in our corporate affairs division, people who do global policy and government relations, media relations. And then we also work with external stakeholders from governments to think tanks to regulatory authorities, non-governmental organizations like the World Health Organization, groups like that. So we have an international focus as well as a domestic focus. Nice. All right. And now you end up going to both medical school and law school, correct? Yes. And, and so it worked out perfectly for what you're doing. Was that the plan? It became the plan. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I went to med school thinking, and, and you remember from our college days, we played a lot of basketball. Yeah. I came to it from the perspective of I wanted to get into sports medicine because mm. I thought that would be a cool way to stay involved with teams and athletics and just an interesting field in medicine. And when I went to the University of Michigan, I had the opportunity to work with the team doctor for Michigan's football team who was also a former player. And I got to scrub in early on uh, orthopedic surgeries with him. And I realized, and he realized early on that I didn't like being in the operating room. So he, uh, he suggested if I really didn't love it, that I should find another career path. And I uh, looked around, I thought about some other specialties, pediatrics, radiology, things like that. And then I was exposed to the legal aspects of medicine. And I always had an interest in the business aspects of medicine as well. I was thinking about getting a master's in health administration or MBA in the health field. And I found that law was a way that I could kind of combine my interest in medicine and science and apply that to the business of the pharmaceutical industry. So it ended up kind of being a perfect mixture where I knew I could bring the knowledge from the medical background. I could bring the legal background because uh, pharmaceutical industry is, is very heavily reliant on regulatory and intellectual property law. I needed to learn what's the business, and I figured I could do that once I got in the door. Nice. Okay. So when you went into law school, you knew that you were going to get into IP law and kind of get involved in that area. Okay. Oh, yes, absolutely. And yeah. it was a little bit kind of difficult in the first few years of law school because all the other students are taking the classes and they're figuring out what area of law they want to get into. And I'm laser focused on intellectual property. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, why are we doing criminal law? I just want to take electives in, in patents and licensing and even some regulatory classes. So, yeah, I was focused from day one on going straight to intellectual property. That's funny because um, I was like that in business school where I, I knew what I wanted to do, wanted to get into finance, wanted to get into sales and trading. And all I was worried about was the finance courses. But then after the fact, I was like, maybe I should have paid more attention to the entrepreneurship or the marketing classes and things of that nature. <laughs> right, right. Well, actually, now thinking back on it, I was so focused on intellectual property, I should have taken advantage of 
business curriculum at the mm -hmm. law school. Yeah. And I would have got a great education on the business side of things that I try to pick up now from all my colleagues on the right. business side of Pfizer. And I'm thinking, yeah, I should have paid more or took some of those electives back when I was in law school. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> now, what is it like your senior corporate counsel of Pfizer during the pandemic? And, and I ask that because, and this might sound a little funny, but you guys have basically kind of saved the world. You know, it, we went through a period where half a million Americans died from this disease. And Pfizer being one of two companies that have come out quickly and come with this vaccine to really save people that we're now kind of safe from that, at least death from the disease. And just people just thinking that they can actually get out now or do something now where they just felt so trapped before. And I'm not saying just get out and, and go crazy, but I'm just saying a lot of people felt really trapped before and just very scared. And things have really changed because of this. And how do you feel being senior corporate counsel at Pfizer during all of this? Yeah, it's a great time to work at a company like Pfizer. This is my 11th year, and I actually just switched roles into the, the IP policy group right before the pandemic hit. So it was kind of, they threw me into the deep end and said, <laughs> okay, here we go. Here's a policy kind of crisis, get oh. to work. But it was actually, it was really inspiring to work at a company like Pfizer because, you know, in a large corporation, there are so many different functions and everyone has their day jobs and everyone kind of just dropped what they were doing. And the mm -hmm. focus was just on the vaccine. Yeah. And it was no matter what your function was, a large part of your day was dedicated to whatever you could do to contribute to the vaccine effort. Oh. And obviously being in the policy group and interfacing with governments and interfacing with health organizations and just the policies around the vaccine were being developed. There was no history on how do governments work with private organizations to make a vaccine when there's a global pandemic like this. This is kind of unprecedented. So even just being in with intellectual property and patents being so much in the media and in the news, we were kind of on the front lines from a company perspective, not on the scientific side, but on the business side on how do we react to the crisis and how do we step to the front as a corporation to kind of play our role. Wow, that's interesting. So basically with this crisis, a lot of those job duties kind of got pushed out the window and it was all hands on deck for a lot of you. Yes, yes, absolutely. And there, and there's a site here in New York up in Pearl River where we do vaccine research. It's kind of our headquarters for vaccine research. Obviously, with this vaccine, we worked with a collaborator that's over in Europe, but for <laughs> Pfizer, domestically, our vaccine research is done here. And those folks never stop going in, right? Because they're working in labs and the rest of the world is on lockdown and people are working from home, but they were our essential workers. And they're going into the lab, making sure that this vaccine is kind of rushed to the public. So it was very inspiring to everyone doing their part and, and kind of bringing this thing to, to the market and bringing it to the people that need it. Wow. And I know your job changed right before the pandemic, but did your hours change significantly as well? Yes. Yeah. We were very busy, especially within the policy group. You know, there were a lot of meetings. And, and like I said, it was, we were kind of starting from scratch, right? Yeah. There was nothing to really build on for experience on how we should approach this. And there was a lot of just playing out scenarios. What if this happens, then we respond this way? Or what if the vaccine doesn't show efficacy, right? We did a lot of research at risk. We were taking steps where we were preparing to manufacture the vaccine before we knew if it even worked, right? And how do you message that? How do you partner with different countries? And then if everyone's asking you for the vaccine and you only have a limited supply, how do you decide who you're going to partner with to supply the vaccine? And how do you work with the people who may be second in line because you just don't have any more? And how do you work with, with that from a policy perspective? So yeah, my hours increased and, you know, just working from home, I think everyone's hours increased because you couldn't really determine when your workday was over and you didn't really have much else to do. So 
Yeah. Uh, rather than just sitting around at the end of the workday, you wanted to tackle things so you didn't have so much on your plate for the next day. So I did find myself working quite a bit more when the pandemic first hit. Wow. Now, you're a new role now, but you've always been in the council, right, at yes. Pfizer. So did you have any surprises or any misconceptions or just uh, really any surprises at all coming into this role or coming into your role beforehand, things that you didn't really think about coming into law? So I had, actually, I would say it was a great surprise. So before I worked at Pfizer, I worked at, at a law firm, private law firm, and Pfizer was one of our clients. Oh. Uh, and so I would work on a project for Pfizer, but I would only have kind of a limited window, right? They would just send a task to the law firm and you would complete your piece of the task and then your work product back to Pfizer and they would do with it, you know, what they needed. And once you come into the company, you're a part of the team. And when they make you a part of the team, you're a part of the whole team. So for my first 10 years at Pfizer, I was an attorney that supported our early research groups. So the scientists working in the labs. So I would work with them from almost the conception of the idea of what the project would be until it was put into patients in clinical trials. Mm. So I'd work with them when they're doing the research, filing patent applications, helping them do searches to see what areas they can work in and what areas they can't work in. But when you do that, you're essentially on the research team, like with the scientists. You're in the meetings where they're discussing the, the scientific paths of their research. And that was a great surprise. I, I really enjoyed that. Having the medical background allowed me to stay kind of on the cutting edge of the work that we were doing in different disease areas. Uh, and I spent a lot of my time reading journal articles, reading patents, reading other people's research, which was a wonderful way to be involved in still research, as well as the legal aspects of the business of Pfizer. And I didn't really expect that coming from the law firm. Yeah, yeah. And now you mentioned reading journal articles and research. With medicine, things are just changing so much. So how do you stay abreast in all that? Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult because when you're practicing, you, you, you stay abreast because you see it every day. Mm. And then when, when you see things you don't know, you read up on it. So I was lucky enough that I worked. We have different research areas where you may be an oncology attorney or a vaccines attorney. And I worked for one of our research units where we weren't limited to one disease area. We the, the research unit, it was a group where we collaborated with medical schools for clinical research and uh, some early stage research as well. So I was able to, based on the projects I was working on, dive deep into those areas. And I would almost kind of take a self-study approach where I would read up on one disease and then there may be another disease that's in a differential diagnosis for that disease. And I'd say, oh, I need to brush up on that too, you know, and, and you're reading on that one. But there's a lot of self-education. You have to have the intellectual curiosity to continue to want to learn on your own and to keep your skills polished because there are people within the company that appreciate my medical credentials and they look to me to provide that background that they don't have from some of the other attorneys. So there are things that I need to stay up to date with in order to be able to, to bring that to the table when I'm in meetings or when we're discussing certain topics. So, yeah. but a lot of it is, is self-motivation and, and you have to have the curiosity to, to kind of pursue those things and waiting for it to, to present itself to you. Okay. Got it. And then, now, what about outside of work? What are you doing to relieve stress? Any hobbies? I know you had that nice mid-range shot back in the day playing basketball. <laughs> it's funny. So my knees, my knees don't allow me to play against other people. But it's funny. I was talking to someone the other day and I still go to the gym and just shoot and put my headphones on. Nice. There's something about just being in the gym that's like meditating. And yes. I've spent so many thousands of hours, it feels like, in gyms by myself shooting jump shots. So it's a comfort zone for me. So I still do that. But when I stop, playing basketball competitively, I started running distances. I do marathons and marathons, oh, and wow. that was my way to keep the competitive edge. I needed something to train for, something to compete in. So I started doing that. So I, I kind of do that athletically outside of work. But then family, 
kids, yeah. friends, they, that takes up a bunch of your time. And right. uh, that's a great way to, to, to get away from work and, and spend time with family. Pfizer is a great company for work-life balance. So they're, they're very supportive of that. And it, it's been a wonderful experience. That's great. That's good. That's good to know. All right. So can you talk about what a, and I know this is going to be hard, but what a, a typical day looks like for you? <laughs> well, a typical day now or a typical day when I actually worked in, in, an, in an office? Uh, <laughs> Let's say when you worked in an office, because hopefully things are going to be going back. Right. Soon, hopefully. Yeah. Right. Right. So previously, so the, the site I was working at was a research site. So I worked in a big kind of office building. It's, it's funny if you actually go there, it looks kind of like a college campus. There's several buildings it's like kind of lecture halls and chemistry and biology labs. And then there are some offices, which would remind most people of what, like what the professor's offices look like when you were in kind of a, a biology building or a chemistry building nice. uh, in college. But I would go in usually like everyone these days, emails, try to figure out if there are any fire drills, anything that needs to be addressed right away, kind of settling to, to the schedule, see what meetings are happening. There was usually a group meeting or a project meeting with one of my research teams where I would be sitting in seeing what the latest research they were doing. And those those meetings were always interesting because you're kind of the fly on the wall in the meetings as they're discussing their research and you're just listening and someone may make an off comment that they don't think is significant. And you could hear that and say, wait, that could be an invention. That could be something that we might want to file a patent application on. And you kind of take a note on that and meet up with them later and get more details. Or they may have questions about something they want to you know, procure something from a collaborator or something that they want to get from someone else and they need to know how they go about legally making sure that they check all the boxes that they can procure it in the right way. But you're basically, you're in project meetings as they're planning and also reporting on the progress of, of the programs. And then you have legal meetings as well, where there's a bunch of different committees and there are a bunch of different initiatives within the legal division. So sometimes you're in those meetings, we do group meetings within the patent department where people present the latest work that they've been doing and you can learn kind of from other people what issues they've had on their programs and you can give input to them to help them solve their problems, but you can also kind of use their experiences to help you uh, increase your own knowledge and also support your own programs. So you go to a fair number of meetings like that, but really it's just in and out of meetings most of the day and then trying to find time to stay up to date on your emails throughout the day and then trying to find some time to actually do the work that you need to do that comes out of all these meetings. Because it seems like every meeting you go into, you leave with a few action items. And there are always those days where you feel like you were in meetings all day and you didn't have time to do any work. And all you did was pick up work and you didn't get anything done. But then there are some days where you could set blocks of time where you can actually sit down and, and, and get the work done that you need to get done. Nice. All right. And now with these patents, do you ever have any collaboration with other organizations or institutions or, or corporations? And if so, how does that work? Are you working with the other council and does that get a little messy or can I get a little well, messy? <laughs> <laughs> well, usually it doesn't. And okay. yes, a company like Pfizer, we work with other companies quite a bit. Sometimes we're okay. buying companies and we just take their projects in and their people in and they just become part of Pfizer. Other times we're doing license and development agreements where we license in their asset and then we work with them to develop it. And then I also mentioned I worked for that research unit where the whole model is designed around a collaborative model where we work with medical schools. And medical schools have the ideas, but they may not have the resources or the machinery of a large pharmaceutical company to bring it to market. So there's a lot of collaborative work. Usually there's someone on your collaborator side who sits in the same position that you do. So you, you work with them directly. Often there's an outside law firm 
that's doing some of the patent work. So you work through the outside law firm with your colleague on the counterpart organization to work on the on the legal aspects of things. And then you sit in joint project meetings quite a bit. Sometimes they call them steering committees, which are the groups that they form to make decisions for these collaborative type projects. So you sit in on those meetings, but it's very collaborative. And usually the spirit of the collaboration is great and there aren't really any difficulties. It doesn't get messy. The only time it would get messy is if the collaboration comes to an end and you try to unwind the partnership. It's kind of like a divorce at that point and everyone's yeah. dividing up uh, <laughs> what the assets are and how things are going to go. And that's the part that can get messy. But oftentimes you collaborate with partners and it's the similar partners that you work with over over and over again. So even if one project ends, you're still working with them on other things. So unwinding a project isn't, isn't as messy as it could be. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Yeah. Now, what skills and characteristics would you say are important to be successful in your line of business? I think I mentioned it earlier. I think intellectual curiosity is big. Yeah. We're in a field, law and medicine. It's, it's funny. People ask, what was harder, medical school or law school? And I think medical school was just harder just for the sheer amount of information that they want you to learn. My first class in med school was uh, pathology, where they kind of the language of medicine and also the language of disease. And I remember a pathology professor, he would always say, and he would, you know, you have the professor that tells you the same story again and again. And he would say, you know, when I met, went to med school 40 years ago, it was four years and med school is still four years. And think about how much scientific advances we've had in the last 40 years and how much more we expect you guys to know now than when I went to med school. So it's just the sheer amount of information that's out there that they want you to learn. But the thought processes are the same in law school. Medicine and law, they train you to know how to ask the questions to get the facts that you need, and then how to go about analyzing those facts to make a decision. Law school is more about being able to argue both sides once you kind of get to that analysis. But medicine, there's some of that too, where you come to a diagnosis and you have to argue for why you want to pursue a, a treatment path as opposed to another treatment path. And that's why people make it second opinions and third opinions. But I think law and medicine are much more similar than they are different. And you have to have the curiosity to want to ask the questions because the facts don't always just present themselves to you. And you have to be inquisitive enough to find the facts. And then you have to have the analytic mind state to analyze the fact in an even-handed way and then come up with your analysis. Mm, that's interesting. You're right. It can't teach you everything. So right. it's that thought process that's the most important thing. So you can think on your own when you're out of it. Yeah. All right. Now, what do you love about what you do? Uh, I, I love... I think big picture, I love the sense that the work that I do contributes to the health of the public. And that's why I wanted to go to med school in the first place. And I also love just personally the fulfillment I get from learning new things. I feel like every day, every project, I'm learning more about how the government in Brazil works or how Australia decides how they're going to price their drugs. And it's just fascinating, all these different systems and how things just work in, in different parts of the country. So I think I get fulfillment from the, the continual knowledge and the continual learning and learning from my colleagues and also contributing to the marketing of our drugs. When a drug hits the market or when we sign a deal or when we have put a policy in place that brings medicines to more patients, it's very fulfilling. Nice. Nice. Now, what about on the flip side, though? What type of challenges are out there for you? What type of challenges or obstacles? What keeps you up at night? I feel like the work never ends. People often ask, I'll say, well, I have to do some work tonight. 
And it's like, well, when will you be done? And it's like, well, I could just keep working. I'd never be done. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's always more. Or I'm going to work again. And you can, you can always keep working. And I guess what would, it doesn't really keep me up at night, literally. But I think just trying to stay on top of everything. And, and you don't want to drop a ball where someone is relying on you for information so that they can do their job. Because you want to be a good colleague. You want to be a good partner. You want to help other people in your company be successful and just managing your time, managing your workload, being there for your family, carving out some time for yourself to pursue your own interests, making sure you're not putting too much on your plate while still doing enough that you're leading a fulfilling life is kind of the challenge. And I that that's not unique to, to my position. I think most professionals uh, have those, <laughs> have those same challenges. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's just being able to find that time to just shut down and be at home and be present right because you can you can end work but and you, you go home but are you really home are you really present or you're still dibbling and dabbling going back working and and half listening to conversations and, and things of that nature so yeah i 100 I get it yeah. <laughs> and, and even with you with you know the the podcast and all the work that goes into that you want to pursue your passions and you know the work ethic that takes to be successful, but there's that work-life balance where you, you also want to be fulfilled at home. And we all have that need to be fulfilled professionally and personally. Exactly. Yep. Yep. It's a hard thing to try and balance and, and find how to do both. Get good at it at times, and but fall on your face at other times. So. Yes, absolutely. Now, do you have any memorable moments in your career that stick out to you? Um. Yeah, quite a few. I mean, even starting with med school, the first time I delivered a baby wow. is a big one. You know, when you're on your, your OBGYN rotations and you're helping deliver five, six babies a night for the course of two or three months, you, you get quite a few under your belt. So that was, was a big one. And trying to think, oh, when I worked at uh, the law firm, we did some pro bono work where we, uh, pro bono work is where you donate your legal services without a fee to charitable organizations. And I worked with the Larry King Foundation, mm. which is a cardiac foundation that brings patients from other countries to the United States so that they can get top level healthcare. And we helped a couple patients from Africa come to DC to get treatments. And that was very fulfilling work, kind of highlights of my work. And then I would say definitely the work around the COVID vaccine over the past year uh, is definitely a highlight, kind of an unprecedented situation that I feel like we'll be talking about for decades, if not generations, right? And way we talk about uh, flu, flu pandemics from the early 1900s. I, I think this is a time that'll, that'll be remembered for, for quite a while. Yeah, 100%. I think what we think about the Spanish flu or something like that way before us, I think people will be talking about what's going on now. And you're right, that's, that's some big moments from bringing in people to this world and, and saving, I don't even know how many people you guys have saved and bringing people from Africa to DC to get these heart treatments. Just, wow, those are some moments. <laughs> yeah. Very nice, man. very nice indeed. So do you have any advice for people getting into IP law, I guess, specifically in the medicine arena? Yeah. So I think and when you get around IP attorneys, specifically patent attorneys, everyone has their story of how they, what they, we say, how you left the lab or you left science and decided you wanted to get into law, into business. And people have different reasons for doing it. But I think the fearlessness that all of us had to change career paths. And I know from my perspective, I was very lucky to have support of my family 
who didn't look at me like I was crazy when I said, yeah, I have a medical degree, but I think I want to do this law thing. They asked me questions and I had to explain, you know, what my vision was. And then once I explained it and I had a plan, they were like, yeah, we support you. Let us know what we can do to help you get to your goal. I think you have to be fearless. I think you have to believe in yourself, but also lean on mentors, lean on people who have gone through it for um, connect yourself with people who can help guide you through it. And if you don't know people, use the people at your educational institutions, use the career offices, use your professors, use your medical school attendings or your PhD program mentors, but always just be willing to do the work, follow your passions. And if you do that, you'll end up in a good place. Wow, man, that's, that's great advice. And I love you talking about mentors. And I just thought about just the community work that you do outside of what you do it for work. So can you talk a little bit about that as well? I know you're on a board trustee in the uh, Barack Obama Charter High School and on a, another school. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yes. So I'm a board member at Barack Obama Green Charter High School. It's a charter high school focused on environmental sustainability and environmental education for the students here in Plainfield, New Jersey. And it's been very fulfilling. I've always had a passion for, for mentoring students, tutoring students, going back to college. So getting involved, my friend of mine is on the board and he thought I would be great for it. And he kind of pulled me into it. And it's, it's been a great experience. The staff there is incredible in the way that they provide opportunities for the kids and the kids there are exceptional. So it's been, it's been, I think, more fulfilling for me than it has been for them to, to get involved <laughs> in that. But as someone with kind of two professional degrees, I see education as the key to success or not the key to success, but a pathway to success. And I want to make educational opportunities available for as many people who look like me as I can, because there are a lot of who don't know that these opportunities are out there for them or who get discouraged and they just need a little push and, and to see someone who looks like them who have done it before they have and to see someone who believes in them. And that could just be the, the smallest push that they need to continue on, on, on their path. So I work with the Charter High School and then I also am on the board of trustees of an organization called New Jersey Seeds. Now we're, we're going by Seeds. They're in the process of dropping the New Jersey uh, from the name as we try to expand our, our reach beyond New Jersey. But Seeds works to place high achieving students from low income areas and low income backgrounds into elite private high schools, and then eventually elite colleges and universities. And these students are amazing. It's a competitive process to get into the program. They continue on at their public schools, but give up their weekends during the school year to do educational programs through SEEDS. And these kids are high achieving. I've, I help with mock interviews and I'm interviewing kids thinking, you know, I could never get into this program. These kids are smarter than I ever was, you know, back when I was, when I was their age. But that has been very fulfilling as well. And it's a nonprofit. And, you know, it takes quite a bit of funding to fund the programs for the students and, and give them the guidance that they need. So there's a lot of work with the board with, with you know, the operational experiences and, and the operational organizational uh, structure to keep the program going. But there are two of my passions and working with young people and mentoring and letting them know the opportunities that are out there for them is very fulfilling. Oh, man, that's incredible. That's incredible. Awesome work, man. I, I really commend you on all that you do. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah you. no problem, man. Thank you. So, hey, John, we're at the end of this interview. I want to head over to this quick hitter session. We're going to ask you questions for fun to get to know you okay. a little bit better. Okay. But before I do that, though, just want to find out if there's anything additional that you would like to talk about or if you might have felt like I left off something asking you. Oh, uh, no, no, nothing at all. Cool. Let's get to the quick hitters. All right. <laughs> so first one. Well, but before and before I do that, just want to say, you're talking about New Jersey and 
that's so cool that now you're you're back home. You're back home. You're working at home. So how how does yeah. that feel, man? Yeah. It- it's great. So, um, like, you know, we, we did go to college together down in Texas and I lived here until high school. I finished high school down in Texas and then went to the University of Texas. So it was a bit different for me being down there, but guys like you and, and our group of friends in college made it feel like home to me because, nice. you know, my family was back in Jersey. I had to get on a plane to go home. So I spent a lot of time down in Houston, you know, hanging out, making that my second home. So I loved it while I was there, but it was great to come home. I went to Michigan for medical school after I left Texas. And it was funny. I went there because they had winter. I missed it. But surprisingly, <laughs> I wanted snow. It reminded me of home. And I thought it was so cool that I could actually drive home instead of on a plane to go home. So I was like, Ann Arbor, that's for me. And then came back to Jersey and I, I've been here since. So it's great to be back around family and, and, and friends and have the clo- people who are close to me nearby. But I do miss Texas from time to time. I haven't been there in a, in a while, but yeah, I need come, to get back down there. Come through, man. And in, in Arbor, those winters can be kind of harsh, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've never seen so much snow uh, and it just, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop, but they, they are experts at snow removal. I mean, yeah, it's, right. it's, it, it snows there and then the snow is gone and, and it feels like, you know, it's just pretty snow because it's on yeah. the sidewalks and, and on the, you know, off the sidewalks and on the grass and it just looks, but while it's snowing, you just want to stay inside for, right. you know, until they handle everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's go to these quick hitters questions. So first one, What's your favorite sports team? Knicks. All right. Hey, they're, they're looking pretty good, man. And John Randall is, is looking really good. Yes, yes. He surprised us. But I have to tell you, it was it was tough for me when we first got down to college because the Rockets were uh, yeah. were torturing my Knicks back then. So yes. <laughs> it was it was a, it was a rough couple of years for me with all you Rockets fans around there. <laughs> yeah, I have a little story about that. When I was at UBS Investment Bank, John Starks came to the bank. He wrote a book, so he came there and he was giving it out to us and signing it. Mm-hmm. And I went up to him, and for some reason, I don't know if I got starstruck or whatever, I couldn't think of what to say, and I just said, "I'm a Rockets fan." <laughs> <laughs> And he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, that was the dumbest yeah. thing ever. But yeah, and he was my favorite player too. Oh which yeah, was, which was even harder for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was that was a tough one. But he was a good player, man. He was. I loved watching him play. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Favorite movie or show? Favorite movie or show? Favorite show of all time is The Wire. Um, mm. uh, but now I see what I'm watching now. Snowfall. I've gotten oh, yeah. into that. My, yeah. my friends laugh. They ask, like, do you have a secret desire to be like a DEA agent or <laughs> where you're like a drug dealer in your past? Because like, all my favorite shows, are, they're either trying to catch the drug dealers or they are the drug dealers trying to get away. It's Narcos. It's, you know, the wire. You know what? Those are really well done shows, though. I mean, the, yeah. whether it's about that or not, those those shows that you mentioned are really well done. So. Yeah. Yeah, can't beat them, right? Yeah. <laughs> even even Breaking Bad was it was a great. Yes, one. <laughs> yeah, another one. Uh, maybe yeah. you do have a... <laughs> another career. Yeah, another career change yeah. ahead of me. Yeah, with a DA, obviously. Our <laughs> uh, favorite musical artist or group? Hmm. Wow. Probably Wu Tang. Mm. Wu Tang Clan, the whole group. Yeah. The whole group, nice. Yeah, still, and I watched the a little. A bit of the verses the other day with uh it was oh. Ghostface versus Raekwon, which I thought I would never see. So you know what? I, I guess I forgot it, it happened. I was looking forward to it, but I was also trying to think how was that gonna how are they gonna go against each other? 
right. on each other's songs. The same song. Yeah, same group. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it good? Yeah, I only caught. I I got to it late also because I couldn't okay. find it. But yeah, it was good when I watched for a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Took took me back to the college days yeah. for a little while. <laughs> yep. Yeah. All right. Favorite vacation spot? Uh, anywhere on an island, basically. Mm. I just need a beach, some palm trees, yeah. some time to relax. A good nap on the beach is all I need to get away. That sounds nice. Yeah. <laughs> and favorite food or drink? Uh, paella is my oh, yeah. is my all time favorite food. Yeah. Some of my family is Portuguese, and my okay. uh, grandmother would make paella, so that's that's my favorite. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. Love it. All right. Well, hey, John, this has been great, man. I truly love your passion for what you do and what you do outside of work. Also, your community involvement. I've said it before. You guys at Pfizer have really changed the world and, and kind of saved the world with the, the work that you've done. And, man, just congrats on all that you've done and keep doing what you're doing. And thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Like I said, I appreciate you reaching out and being interested in my path and, and what I do and thinking that maybe someone out there could benefit from hearing my story. And if anyone hears this and they want to reach out, they want more information or think that I can help in any way, I'm happy to speak, happy to help in any way I can. Oh, so if people do have any questions, comments or questions, is there a way that they can reach out to you? Is it social media, LinkedIn? Um, Yeah, LinkedIn is probably, probably okay. the best way. Yeah, happy to help. Cool. Thanks a lot, John. All right. Thank you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.